The first reading is from Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. The second reading is from Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to to God. The Holy Gospels according to St. John, the eighth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. And as they head back, I just want to bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ at Bethany Christian Fellowship Church in Rwanda. I know that many of you were following our Facebook posts and you saw many of the pictures, but all of the people that we went and visited in the various campuses of Bethany uh, said, please bring our greetings to your people that you serve in the United States. And so I stand before you to bring you those greetings. I was also able to visit with Bishop Bernard, 
who is the bishop of the Independent Lutheran Church of Rwanda. He and I, he was able to attend the conference that I taught for two days, and we talked about how it is that we might be able to partner with his church, churches, in the future. It's affiliated, or it's, it's looking to affiliate itself with the International Lutheran Council, which, is, which the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is a part. They desire to be a confessional church in Rwanda. And so it was a pleasure to meet with him, and he too, on behalf of his churches, said to please bring greetings to you. The sermon I'm about to share with you was something that I wrote on the flight back from Rwanda. When you spend 17 hours in an airplane, it gives you lots of time to write a very lengthy sermon. <clears throat> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. My sermons did go an hour and a half when I was in Rwanda, 45 minutes of preaching, that was the minimum that they wanted from me, and then of course translated, it makes it double the time. So an hour and a half, and sometimes Pastor Alpha reminded me, he said, you were, you were approaching two hours, Dr. Glenn. I won't do that to you today, okay? But in the name of Jesus Christ, dear fellow believers in him, we are saturated with truth claims, truth claims that conflict with one another. False news, well, that abounds. False prophets, well, they claim to Speak for God when they're nothing but the mouthpieces of the devil. But thankfully, thankfully our merciful God speaks nothing but the truth. He speaks nothing but the truth into this cesspool of toxic information. And we need God's truth. We need nothing but the truth from God every day of our life because we face issues. We face issues in our home and in our school in our workplace and in our community, and we need God's Word. We experience problems in life, like our ongoing struggle with sin, and we need God to speak His truth into our lives. And we experience challenges, like discerning truth from falsehood. And again, we need the truth of God's Word. And we experience life scenarios in which there's no seemingly solution, where there only appears to be dead ends. And again, we need God to speak his truth and only his truth into those issues. Jesus is God's truth. He's God's truth in the flesh. Jesus says, and you know these words, he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but I, Jesus, says I have made him known. And again, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus just doesn't speak the truth. Jesus is the truth. And being the truth and speaking the truth cost Jesus his life. St. Paul also speaks the truth. He isn't the truth, but he speaks the truth because he preaches and he writes about the truth. He writes about Jesus Christ. Paul's not a philosopher. He doesn't spiritualize the truth. He isn't one to relativize the truth. He isn't one to compromise the truth. Paul's a straight shooter. He plainly speaks the truth about Christ. And speaking the truth about Christ cost St. Paul his life. Martin Luther speaks the truth. Scripture alone, he said, is, and that is one of Luther's solas, his Solas, his only ones, his scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, 
Christ alone. Luther spoke the truth through all the rhetoric of the day. He always cut to the chase. I mean, Luther speaks plainly, sometimes too plainly, for sometimes our sensitive ears. And he speaks volumes. He writes volumes about the truth, about Jesus Christ. And speaking that truth about Jesus Christ, well, that made Luther be placed under the papal bull. There was a threat ever on his life till his dying day that if anyone captured him, they could, they could execute him. Speaking the truth about Christ cost Luther his health and some of his freedom. The truth and nothing but the truth. That's what we need. We need Jesus as the truth, and we need Jesus to speak the truth to us this day. We need the truth that St. Paul proclaims, and we need the truth that Luther testified to as well, and we need it more than ever. And so, on this day, as we observe Reformation Day, which will actually be tomorrow, let's listen to the truth from the pen of St. Paul, words that Carol read to you moments ago from Romans chapter 3. None is righteous, no, not one. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. If we search every page of the Bible, we will never find the teaching that is so popular in our day, and that teaching being that people are essentially good. No, the Bible doesn't speak like that at all. It doesn't speak in the Bible about everybody having a spark of goodness within them. It doesn't speak of people being conceived and born morally neutral. No, that is not what it speaks of at all. Paul begins his words in Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. You see, the problem with these false ideas that man is essentially good or morally good or that he has this spark of goodness within him these ideas are, have many problems with them. First, such views are in contradiction to, the one, to one of God's universal claims that all people are conceived spiritually corrupt and they're dead from the moment of their conception. We call that original sin. We call that hereditary sin for it's handed down from generation to generation to generation. And St. Paul speaks this truth. He speaks the truth of man's condition. He says there's no one who is good, not one. No distinctions are made. For all have sinned and fall short of the Lord's standard of perfection and holiness. If you and I were to be put on trial in God's court of law and evidence was presented as to the condition of our hearts, to our original spiritual condition, to that hereditary sin that I just spoke of moments ago, and to all the transgressions that we commit each and every day, we would have to plead guilty. All of us are guilty. Guilty of disobeying God, and therefore worthy 
of God's eternal condemnation. That's the plain truth. How foolhardy then it is for us to think that we could stand before the judge to God, before God, and plead our innocence or, or deflect the issue of our sin onto other people. It's not my fault, Lord, that I am the way I am. I was born this way, we often hear. It's not my fault, O oh Lord, that I've sinned against you in my thoughts and my words and my deeds. I mean, have you seen the kind of house I grew up in? Did you see how my father and my mother treated me? It's no wonder I've turned out the way that I am. And oh, by the way, Lord, this is your stinking world. You're the one who created it, and you're the one who made me, so maybe you are to blame for the way I am. To deny the reality of our sinful condition leads us to a second problem. We see no reason to repent. Of what do I need to repent of? What have I really done wrong, we think? And a Savior? Why do I need a Savior to die for my sin? I mean, what is sin anyways? I can't define even what a woman is. So how can I define what my sin is? And therefore, we see no need for Jesus to be our Savior. When addressing the problems then, and the issues and the challenges and the dead-end scenarios in which we find our, ourselves, when we reject our original sin, when we deny that we sin, we then turn to other solutions other than Christ to deal with our sin. We'll turn to people who can dis dispense with pills for us to help us curb and control our behavior. We might turn to comfort food that will uplift us when we're depressed. We might turn to leisure and entertainment to kind of take us into another world where we don't have to think about what is in our life. We might turn to some form of self-made spirituality, kind of picking that which we really like from the smorgasbord of spiritual realities that are out there. We might even turn to find people who are of like mind and who will just affirm what it is that we believe about ourselves. Repentance, our Savior Jesus. In such people's lives, repentance and Jesus have no relevance. There's no purpose for them in their lives. And if there's any saving to be done, if I need any help at all, and frankly, less and less people are even thinking about sin anymore these days. They don't even think in those terms. Such people just really think they can save themselves if there's any saving to be done. You know, during my trip to Rwanda, I spent a lot of time reading a book called Deliver Us by Reed Lessing. It's a book about Exodus, the book of Exodus, the first 24 chapters. Having spent a good 34 hours of flying to and from Rwanda, there was an illustration in his book that really made an impression on me. Lessing invites the reader to picture himself or herself on a commercial airline flight. And he, and he writes, when the 747 begins to taxi down the runway, he says, you, begin, you stand up and you begin to flap your arms like they're wings. And the flight attendant comes up to you and asks, what in the world are you doing? Well, I'm trying to get the 747 off the ground. 
Well, you don't have to do that, says the attendant. Oh, yes, I do. I, I am committed to making this work. And again, the attendant says, trust me, you can sit back down in your seat. You don't need to. Relax. Just enjoy the flight. This plane will take off and get you to your destination without your help. But no, you insist. No, I've got to help get this plane off the ground. The point is this, that Lessing makes. We can no more save ourselves from our sin and from the devil and death then we can wave our arms in the, in the air and get a jumbled jet to lift off the ground and fly. Thankfully, God provides the 747. He provides the jumbled jet that lifts off and takes us heaven-bound. And that jumbled jet is none other than Jesus Christ, his Son. St. Paul writes in our text, For all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We are justified. That's one of the main themes of the Lutheran Reformation. We are justified. And it's one of the main themes of the Lutheran Reformation because it's one of the main themes that St. Paul writes about in the book of Romans and in other places of Scripture. To be justified means that we are declared innocent, forgiven of all of our sin. It's a legal term that was used in the court of law in Paul's day. And if a judge justified you, it meant that he declared you innocent, acquitted of all charges. And St. Paul says in our text, to you and to me, he says, you and I, we are justified by God's grace. Those are important words. We are justified by God's grace. That is his undeserved favor. It's his gift. It's his gift to you and me. And it's a gift that is packaged up in the flesh, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Do you and I deserve to be justified? Do we deserve to be declared holy and innocent, acquitted of all of our charges of sin against us? Do we de deserve to be justified by God himself? Certainly not on our merits, but on the merits of Christ, yes. We are justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're justified by faith. How many times have you heard those words spoken from this pulpit or read them in a book? But hear this. Faith is only as good as the object it clings to. Faith is only as good as the object it clings to. Again, Reed Lessing writes in his book, Deliver Us, Imagine you're hiking and you come to a narrow, rickety-looking footbridge 100 feet above a raging river. The only way to get to the other side is that bridge, but, but you're not sure it will hold. You can begin making your way across, testing each step before moving on. You've got to have faith. Faith in the bridge to get to the other side. But it's not your faith in the bridge that keeps you from falling. 
It's the bridge. He writes, I can have just a little faith in a good bridge and slowly crawl to the other side. Or I can have a lot of faith in a bad bridge only to have it give away under my feet. You see the lesson, blessing us? Faith is only as good as the object of faith. The object of our spirit-generated faith is Christ, the Son of God. And we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, who is our substitute. He stands in our place in God's hall of judgment, and He alone bears the guilt and the punishment for our sin. In Christ alone, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is, as Paul says, the propitiation for our sin. That's Paul's way of saying that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world, for your sins and mine. It's his way of saying that the blood that was shed by Christ on the cross covers us. It completely covers us. So that when God looks at, our, at us, he does not see our sin, but he only sees his son. His son's blood that was shed for us. And thereby he declares us justified, innocent, acquitted of all charges. We have what St. Paul calls, or what we call, an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness not in and of ourselves. It's a righteousness that comes from God to us. As St. Paul says in our text, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You and I are not righteous in and of ourselves, in the sight of God, not at all. But we're righteous in the sight of God because of Christ our Savior. In Christ alone, and in Him alone, God justifies our sins. And Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Yes, our faith is only as good as the object to which it clings. And the faith that we have, that has been given to us by God, clings to Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the truth, and the only truth, that every person in this world needs, so that they may be justified in the sight of God. While in Rwanda... I preached five times on the same text. I also preached a couple other sermons as well. But wherever I went into the little villages or the cities or wherever and was asked to preach, I preached on 1 Corinthians 15. And that was the sermon that took an hour and a half. I'm not going to preach it to you right now. But listen to these words that St. Paul uses as he begins 1 Corinthians 15. He writes, Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. By the grace of God, you and I are privileged to know the truth. We know the truth that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. And that truth sets us free. Free from the curse of sin. Free from Satan's domain. Free meaning we have everlasting life. Yes, you and I, we know. We know and we believe in Jesus as our Savior. We know of his death on the cross for our sins. We know of his victory over the grave for he rose from the dead promising us everlasting life. We know that in him we have eternal well-being for we will live with him forever. And St. Paul says, stand in this truth. Stand in this gospel that I preach to you. Root yourself in it like a tree that is deep, has its roots deeply in the ground so that the winds and the rain and the troubles of this life, as turbulent as they may be, will not uproot you from that truth, but instead you'll be planted firmly in it. So he says, stand in that truth, root yourself in that truth, take hold of it, grip it, hold it with all of your might, because there will be things in this world that will ever try to pry your fingers away from that truth. There will ever be things that will try to uproot you from that truth. But no. Think on these things. For they're of utmost importance. Of first importance. And that is that God in his love for you sent Jesus to be crucified for you. And think on this. That Jesus himself, God's only son, died and was put in the ground for you. And think of this and only this, that Jesus Christ, the one whose body was laid in the ground, who was dead for three days, rose from the dead, promising you everlasting life. This is the truth. The only truth. It is the first importance truth. And so not only stand in the truth, not only root yourself in the truth, not only take hold of that truth, but speak it. Speak the truth in love. And live by the truth with a compassionate heart. For it's this truth that is the source of our peace with God. It's the source of the joy that we have in our hearts. It's the source of the hope that we have when we face the darkest days of our life. It is the truth that fills our hearts with love for one another and for the people that we encounter in our life. And it's this truth that we're even willing to die for. And so speak and live by this truth and nothing but this truth. Borrowing the words of Martin Luther, pray that you'll always say, here I stand. I stand on this truth and nothing but this truth, God's truth, Jesus Christ, who is the truth. I stand on this truth and I can do no other. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.